2 Corinthians chapter 8. We pick back up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Now, <laughs> I love teaching the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And the, one of the main reasons I love teaching the scriptures that way is because I don't, I can't avoid certain topics. I can't skip over certain subjects. I just continue to study the word book by book, and as we go through it, whatever the Lord has for us that day is for us. And these Next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, is one of those topics or one of those sections of scriptures. I would just prefer rather just go over and miss it by all together and just keep moving on some of the more, you know, other topics that of interest, right? Because today we're going to see in chapters 8 and 9, we won't take two chapters. I know you're saying there's no way, Pastor, you're going to get through two chapters. So we're only going to take chapter 8 today. But chapters 8 and chapter 9 do go together in, the, in this section. And it strictly talks about money, about giving. And it's a subject from the very beginning when we started this church and this new work back in 2006, March of 2006. Uh, and it was just, you know, Pastor Rich and myself and, and our ladies. And, uh, and we, we, knew, we said right up front that we, money was never going to be, if the God is in this work and he has called us to do this, that he was going to be faithfully provide. And that we never, as you notice, we do not collect tithes that we allow you to freely give. And people say, well, why do you do that? And it, we do give you an opportunity. There's the birdhouse. We refer to it as the birdhouse. Or you can do it online. or Because if God's faithful to take care of the birds, he takes care of his people. And so we don't collect tithes. Why? Because when you're just five of us when you start off, or just six, or then eight, and then ten... Well, people, you know, get, we don't want any, any uncomfortableness when it comes to giving freely to the Lord as the Lord leads you. So it's between you and the Lord. It's a form of worship. That's what he helps us with dying of self and living for him. And it's a form of worship and you give freely to them. So today we're going to go through the first part of, of God's of, uh, topic here as Paul teaches the church there in Corinth uh, through his the second letter about giving and why that's important. And we'll finish it up, Lord willing, next week in chapter 9 and we'll see some more key principles for you to understand if you haven't had a conversation or a teaching on that subject because that is what the Lord has for us today. Now, if you remember, Paul, in one of his major ministries uh, of Paul, in especially his third ministry journey, was to taking up a special relief offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so he was collecting that. He's going to take it to Judea. And Paul had been down this path before. God had used him as a vessel, as a, as a, a vehicle, a purpose to do the work that God needed to do to take care of his church. And we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, where Paul was once used before by God to bring some the special offerings, some resources, money to the people so that they could... Uh, be provided for because they were starving they were they were really hurting uh, financially but even more practically uh, having uh, uh, money for food 
And we see and also Paul reference there in Acts 20, verse 35, he brings and he's speaking to him and he brings up a, one of those key B attitudes that Jesus taught that many people forget. And sometimes, you know, they just don't remember that B attitude, which was the one that says, it is more blessed to give than is to receive. But Paul, didn't, Paul completely understood that. He knew that the blessing came from giving versus, to, versus receiving. Now, some of, of us may have struggled at Christmas time, and we thought it was more blessed to receive than to give, but it really is more really a satisfying to your soul to be able to give to those in need. And it seems strange that as Christians that we would need encouragement, that Paul would have to encourage these Christians in Corinth regarding about giving and collecting some money to give to those uh, Jewish believers in, in, in Jerusalem uh, some money to help them to survive. And it's kind of interesting because we shouldn't have to have encouragement to give because God has been, and as we will see, is our example of a giver. And the fact that the fact that by his grace he has given us so much that we should be freely wanting to give to others in need. And when God had given so much to us, it is through that he, of his money that is has been given to us in the first place. And it's as we go through this, just keep in mind that everything that you have received monetarily in, 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 in physical things, remember, these are God's money. This is God's items that he has allowed you to, and I to have. And it's his things, it's his money, and he can do with whatever he wants to do with that. He just wants to work through you and I as willing vessels to guide where to take that. And as we see this, you'll see it very clearly from Paul as he teaches the grace of giving, because it is a form of grace when you do give. And as we will see that, Paul makes that very clear. And it is a wonderful thing when Christians enter into this grace of giving, when they really believe that giving is more blessed than receiving. The question is, is how can we tell when we have are practicing or living this grace of giving? When do you know that as a Christian? It's so easy to say, oh, I give. But are you grace of giving are you giving by grace or are you just giving it out of of another motive or or influence or persuasion of another paul was will give us a number of, uh, of evidences or key indicators that we can tell if we're truly giving to god by the grace of giving and through and to, to others now here at calvary chapel north country we do not take offerings we never take offerings. It's not our money to take. We receive offerings. We receive the tithes and offerings and gifts that God has put on your heart to give. We just receive it and then are obedient to what God has us to do is to distribute that out to take care of those in the church body and the needs and missionaries and other uh, things that God puts on our heart to give that money out to provide for such is a place like this for us to gather here in uh, in a comfortable situation be able to study and gather together in his name but we do not take offerings we receive 
offerings that God has put in your and you can freely give that now remember when we give to God we invest in his kingdom that's another foundational truth you need to understand you do not give money to me you don't give it to uh, an organization understand that God has designed the church body so that as you bring those resources that God puts on your heart, you're investing in his kingdom, and because of that, he blesses what you have given. He multiplies what you give. He uses and stirs it to move to do the work that he has in his, for his plan and his purpose. So as long as you keep these things in mind, it's very simple <coughs> to understand how God sees things when it comes to the, the topic of giving. Now the outline, I'm going to give you an outline today because I think it's important for these next two uh, teachings to give an outline for, uh, to reference back later on. The, we see it requires a surrendered life to the Lord, verses 1 through 7. It requires a surrendered life for you to have the grace of giving. You have to have that transformed life. You must be living for God and have a surrender to life to God and be listening and asking God, what do you want me to do with the resources, this money that you have given me? And it's not for self. Two, requires motivation by grace, verses 8 through 9. Giving is grace, and we were given so much grace, we receive in response for that, that love to our Lord because of that grace. The third outline part of the outline is requires faith, verses 10 through 15, trusting in the promises of God. And then finally, we will see verses 16 through 24, it requires faithfulness by you and I, dedicated faithful servants of God, and that is what we'll see as Paul outlines this. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren... We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul starts off in this part of the letter speaking to the believers in Corinth, and he references the churches that are north of Greece. The, 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 the Berea church, the Philippi, the Thessalonica, Thessalonica church, they're north Greece, Corinth, or Corinth, Corinth or the Corinthian believers, are settled or part of the southern part of Greece. So he starts off this part of this, uh, this letter talking about these churches up there, <coughs> and he wanted to make known to the Corinthian believers that God has bestowed tremendous grace upon them, and they're, they're in those churches. In what way? Well, verse 2, he says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So he says, hey guys, you, I'm going to be coming and I'm going to send Titus, as we will see, and I'm going to send some other brothers and they're going to come up and they're going to collect this, this relief funds from you and, uh, and you know all about it and we're going to take this to Jerusalem to help these people out. But in, in the meantime, while I'm saying this, I'm going to remind you. See, you know your brothers and sisters north of you there in, uh, in Macedonia? They are going through some tremendous great trial of affliction. Keep it in that. Keep it in verse 2. Notice that. 
they're in a great trial of affliction. They're in it right now. It's not what they used to. Oh, we had a great affliction 10 years ago or five years ago or a lot. No, they're right now currently in a great trial of affliction, but the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty is, gotten, is so overwhelmingly blowing our minds here, it's abounding in the riches of the liberality. Meaning they're so freely and excited about giving to this cause to help with the relief money going to Jerusalem. This is really important lessons for us. Because the very first evidence, is if you give by the grace of giving, the first evidence is that we will give in spite of circumstances. We will give as God directs us regardless of our financial or situation that we find ourselves in today. They were in great trial. They were very poor up there in Macedonia. They had lost, they had great drought that was affecting these places. That's why they were collecting this money. But these people in Macedonia, we also know, that were losing their jobs. They were not allowed in the trades because they had turned away from Judaism. They turned away and they turned to Jesus. They were following this Jesus guy. And that caused them to lose jobs and be cast out and out of families. How are you going to provide for a family? But notice that they had abundance joy. They didn't say they had abundance happiness. Because there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances of the outward circumstances. The weather is 23 below. Some of you are not happy. But you can still have abundance joy. Because joy is not based upon the outward circumstances. It is based upon an inward relationship with Jesus Christ, who is your Savior, and you are going to be brought through. This is temporary light affliction here, this negative 23 degrees today. So you can still have great joy in serving and doing because you know that God has put on your heart to continue to give to those as God directs. Even though you may not be happy doesn't matter what the happiness is. It matters where your joy is based on a relationship, and it's an inward, deep, inward spirit, uh, uh, inward uh, experience of your spirit. It's him, your, your spirit yourself inside you. That's what brings joy, not the outward, experience, outward experiences. These were not difficult, these were difficult times for them, but Paul made it clear to them, even through the great child, even with their deep poverty meaning in the original language, they were begging, they're actually looking and star, they're struggling. This is deep poverty. Where's the next meal gonna come from? How are we gonna get this for my family? This wasn't about going out and having a dinner and how can I upgrade my next iPhone. That's not deep poverty. But they were still willing to give because they wanted to serve the kingdom. They wanted to serve their Jewish brethren down in Jerusalem. It was part of that unity. 
That's why Paul was so, this was so critical to him because he was trying to bring the Gentile church and the believers with the Jerusalem, the Jewish believers. They were trying to unite them. And in one way they were doing that, it's like, okay, you Gentile churches, let's collect some money and give it to our brethren down here in Jerusalem to help them. Because you never know what's going to happen here. We're, we're, we're one church. And then Paul continues, verse 3 says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. So here they are, they're in a great trial, they're in great poverty, they had very little to their name, but God's put on their hearts to still want to be part of this, to help those, and even worse, obviously something even worse down in Jerusalem. But Paul says, I bear witness, they were giving according to their ability, but not only just to their ability, but beyond their ability. They were stretching themselves with this giving. They didn't look for a few coins laying around. They were taking, oh, yeah, just a few, I think what's up in my pocket here? Oh, some change from left, that's a good enough, yeah, that's, that's a good enough offering. No, no, they were stretching themselves. They were going beyond their ability, and they were doing it freely, willingly. No one was forcing them to do it. There was no motivational speech given to them to try to convince them to give the money for that purpose. They didn't put on a YouTube or some special Facebook message and said, hey, we're about to lose everything. God is broke and and he's going to suffer and we're all going to suffer if we can't get our 52-inch screen TV for the youth ministry. If we don't have it today, it's terrible. All you must be giving. All kinds of gimmicks are going on these days. If you're not on their mailing list, just wait. It's only a matter of time they will. Take this handkerchief. We've prayed for you. We know you're struggling in times. And take this handkerchief as a gift. If you would just return it, a little message back to us saying you received it with a little donation of 25, 50, 100. Go twice, 200. And you'll be double blessed if you would just send it in the mail. Unbelievable things go on in regards to coercing and motivating and big red uh, uh, displays that says, oh, we're just starting this, you know, raising money. Let's, let's, you know, watch the thermometer rise up. It's going down right now, people. We've got to get it up here. And, and it should not be. You should freely, willingly give because it's the grace of giving. God God is the one moving you by grace to give. And Paul says, I saw, I know their ability. Yes, and they went about their ability, but freely willing. But verse 4, imploring us. Here are these people who are in great trial. They're poverty stricken. They're sitting there and they're going beyond their ability. They're stretching themselves. They're looking anything they can do to give to help support. But they implored Paul, please include us in this collection of money for the, Jew, for the believers in Jerusalem. They're imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So the second evidence that Paul gives is that when we give willingly, you know that it's the grace, uh, uh, the grace of giving. 
No one had to convince you. No one tried to put pressure on you. They didn't sit there and say, you must give me a commitment letter here at this church. If you want to be a member, you better give me a commitment letter that says you're going to give me so much per month because that's what you've committed to be able to, for us to be a member of the church. And then they turn around. If you do not give that per month, then what do they do? They start sending you lovely letters of reminders. We hadn't seen your your your. Your commitment letter this week, your yes be your yes and your no be your no, you know. That should not be. You should willingly, freely, willingly give to the work of the ministry. Because it's the grace of giving. The blessing comes from giving. And so, but here these people were... Paul must have looked at these churches and said, they're poor. They're going through trials. They have nothing to their name. They're barely making it. There's like, well, let's not mess with them. Let's go to the Corinthian church because they've got the money. They've got the resources. They are in this nice big city. They've got lots of money. They have people who make jobs, have higher pay wages. They've got money. Let's go to the, the Corinthian believers. But here, these believers are like, no, 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 no. We want to be part of the blessing. We want to be part of what God is doing here, and we'll give above and beyond. We want to be included in this. And Paul made note of that. He bared witness. It's like the, the, in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, the account of the, the widow. Remember the widow? There's Jesus and him watching, and here comes you know, these religious leaders and all these other people with wealth, and they're putting all this money in his sounds, and they're getting all this, everyone... See, look at me. I've got the check. I'm putting it in. It's a big check. Do you see the check? And here it is. It's going in the basket. Does everyone see it? And then Jesus makes note of the widow who comes with two little coins, eighth of a cent worth. Ta-ting. And Jesus says, she has, been, has given beyond. She's given all. She will be blessed in heaven. Why? Because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. She gave the grace of giving. Others gave what seemed to be convenient. It wasn't going to be too much of a challenge for them to write the check to do it. No big deal for them. So... We see that nevertheless, she gave all she had after all. She could have kept one of the mites back. She had two. She could have said, well, you know, I only have two. Just one. I have to hold the other one just in case for emergencies. No, she gave it all. She gave beyond her ability. Just like the Macedonians church, they gave beyond their ability. The same principle of giving is so evident here as the grace of giving. But they gave it freely. They wanted, they, they, they wanted to be part of what God was doing there at that, at that, at that time. Their, their giving was voluntary. There was no pressure. See, grace not only frees us from sin, but it frees us from ourselves. And I believe through giving, God has designed that to help us to die of ourselves. Because one of the biggest things that people struggle with when they first get saved is actually 
giving versus look what can I get I'm just I'm, I'm desperate here I need whatever and you're always looking and yeah there's a time for to receive but there's always as you mature and grow in your relationship with God you will find that you are more willing to give but you're also able to receive as well that's the whole point that God was going to teach you through this Matthew 6:21 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and so where your heart is, you just have to look at your, your banking account, and it can quickly tell you where your heart is. It's a good indication for you and I as we look at our resources and as we start into the new year, making sure, God, where, I want to be a, person, a child of yours is the heart, uh, with a heart that is a, of, 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 of giving by grace as you lead. In verse 5, we see Paul says, and not only as we had hoped, not only as we were hoping, we had an expectation is really what he's saying here to these, these churches in North Greece. He's like, okay, we'll include you. And we hope that maybe you'll give some and you'll be able to give. That'd be nice. It'll be part of this. This is going to be great. It'll be unity. We'll send it to Jerusalem. But he says here, not only was uh, as, as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. See, the Macedonian Christians gave far beyond what God, Paul hoped for. What made their giving so spectacular in the mind of Paul was the fact that it was not the dollar amount. He knew they didn't have much. They were poor poverty, right? D deep poverty. But it was first the fact that... <coughs> They went to the Lord. They first went to prayer. They went to the Lord and seeked after him and said to the Lord, what should we be giving? We want to be including this. What should we be giving? And allowing God to speak to their hearts because they went to him first. And then, then they came to us, Paul, to Paul and the group there, by the will of God. So they knew they were in the will of God because they first seek the will of God in regards to how much to give. And then you know that they slept well. Because when you know you're in the will of God in every aspect of your walk with him, you sleep very well. Because you have a relationship with your Lord. He's not broken. He's the one that gives you the resources for you to meet your needs and to live. And they had a surety of that. There was no question in their minds that the Lord was going to provide for them. And all they had to do is be obedient as they seeked after the Lord. That just blessed Paul to no end. So that would be our third evidence. If you're given by grace, giving, uh, giving of grace, then the third evidence is when we give to the Lord with the right heart. They did what God directed them to do because they were stewards of the money that God had given them. We receive what God gives to us, and then as stewards, we just say, God, what would you want me to do with these resources for your kingdom? And when you have that right in your life, as you mature in your walk with Christ, you will be amazed at the transformation that it will take place in your life. 
Because money will no longer own you. It will no longer control you. It will no longer dictate your relationship of what you will or will not do with the Lord. It's his money. He's, you're just being a good steward, a good, faithful steward. So in verse 6, we see, so we urge Titus that as, we, as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So he, we're going to send Titus to you guys. Don't worry, we're going to send Titus. He's going to collect that money because it's going to help you complete this grace of giving. So God is working and orchestrating and using Paul, in this case, uh, their brother Titus, to go collect that. Verse 7, but as you abound in everything. So here we are. He's speaking to the Corinthians uh, believers right here. I'm sending Titus. He's going to collect from Macedonia. He's going to come and collect from you guys now as well. Because you abound in everything. You abound in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace of giving also. So here he's talking to these Corinthian believers. He's Paul's bearing this letter in, in, in trying to encourage them. The fact that they, God has richly blessed them spiritually they, they, they had the faith in Christ. They had the, you know, the, 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 the spreading the gospel and, and their speech and speaking the truth. Everything was looking great. Everything was going great in that church in many respects. After, remember the first church, I mean the first letter, he had to correct a lot of things. Remember, there was a lot of sin in the camp. But once that got corrected and they started following the Lord, everything seemed to be going good. But one of the things that they didn't follow through with was the giving of money. They, didn't work they had to complete this grace, and Paul was sending Titus to help them do that. Because the Corinthian Christians, like many Christians today, may have intended to give. Oh, I want to give to the Lord. I really do want to give. I've been thinking about it. You know, it comes in my mind every time I'm kind of reading and, it, and I hear things. It comes in my mind, but, you know, I just haven't quite remembered once I get there. I forget the checkbook or I forget. I don't, I don't write checks anymore, so I don't know how to give online or all kinds of things. We might even have an agreement. God, if you get me through this, oh, if you help me get this pay, these bills paid, or whatever, I will give. We make kinds of some statements to agreement, some kind of working out a deal with God, like you can do that. But yet all of this in good intentions doesn't complete this grace that God is talking about, that Paul is writing about. It doesn't complete it. Our intentions, our vows, our resolutions are useless without action. You're abounding in everything. But you're not following through with what you said you would do in regards to giving to those in need. Because our giving should be like God's giving of grace. He gave us grace. He gave it to us freely, generously. God gave us things. 
gave us grace, saved us with no strings attached. We are too to give freely, but we're to give with no expectations of payment in return. You know, I would give you money for the globe as long as I could put my name on the outside. I'll give to the church as long as I get to tell what I do with that money from that point on. I'll give the money to buy that, but I get to pick the color, and I get to pick the size, and I get to be the first one to sit in it. It's amazing how many times we want to give, but there's always seems to be strings attached. And God says, you are to freely give because you're giving to him and his kingdom, and it's his resources. He's just using you to channel that. And you are to do that with no expectation at all of any strings attached or something to benefit from that. God did, does not give to us expecting a payback. Because we could never pay, repay God of what he's done for you and I. We can just serve him and love him in return of what he graciously has given. In verse 8, I speak not by commandment. So Paul made it very clear right up front, I'm not commanding you to give the money. This letter I'm writing to you is not a commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. If you really do love the Lord, and if you really do love others, then you are going to naturally will follow through and give. But if you say you love the Lord and you say you love others, but you do not give, you're fooling yourself. That is, that's a test of your sincerity of really what is in your heart by the, what you give or what you don't give. Many of us like to think that we can love without giving, but what does, remember 1 John 3, verse 17 and 18 say? Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's follow through. It's doing what God is directing you and putting on your heart to do for the needs of others. Now, it's interesting, I've heard over the years, you know, we should never compare what someone gives versus someone else gives. But if you look at the scripture, Jesus did, right? He's kind of indirectly telling the Corinthian believers, hey, look what Macedonian you know, churches in the northern part of Greece are doing here, and you've got money, and you've got resources, and you're giving nothing. That is a comparison. Now, Jesus said, hey, look at these religious leaders and these rich people dropping money in there, but look at the, the widow with the two mites. I think he brings clarity for us and expectations for us to encourage us to step up and do what God is asking us to do. We should never justify our actions of not giving 
based on our justification that we have spiritual gifts that we're using, and that's how I give to the Lord. I'll give you an example, and then I've heard it. Well, Pastor, I don't give any money whatsoever because I serve in the children's ministry, and that's what I give. That's like me saying, I teach you every Sunday, I am free not to give any money that God is, you know, as a tithe. But that, you, you look at me like, you don't, you don't give to the Lord <laughs> just because you're up here teaching? No, that doesn't relieve us of what are the expectations of our Lord. It's a form of worship. We give freely regardless. The money, the tithes, the gifts, the, the offerings is separate, distinct from how you serve in the body and where you serve. So we have to make sure we understand that just because you're serving physically doesn't mean that God is not putting in your heart to give from a money perspective as well. Verse 9, we see a great example of our Lord in this, the fact that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul uses now a great example, a perfect example for us in regards to giving of grace, that through he, Jesus, was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So our fourth evidence that we're giving of grace is that we give as Jesus gave. So if you look at the context of what Paul is saying here, Paul used the word grace in this passage. We know that Paul, what Paul means. You know the giving of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. He was in heaven. He had everything, splendor, glory. He's the creator of the universe. But he was willing to come down to this earth and take on a body like you and I. To be born into a poor family. To live in a poor family. If you really know the scriptures, amazing. He had no place to be born. He had to borrow a, an animal's trough. And you can go through these, all through his life. They didn't have money to pay the tax. He had to tell Peter, go down and get a, you know, get a coin from a fish to pay for the taxes. He even referenced it, right, in the scriptures. How foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his, lay his head, Matthew 8.20. But at the same time, don't overemphasize of Jesus' poverty. Because God provided for him and his family as he grew up. We don't see him begging out in front of the church, beggars. It wasn't that deep poverty like the Macedonian churches were. But he was poor. He was once rich. It doesn't mean he gave up his deity. 
He took on humanity. But most amazing of all is why would Jesus accept this simple life of poverty? And it tells us right here in the scripture, just like that, for your sakes, he became poor. He did it for you and I. To make that connection with you and I, to understand he understands where you're at if you find yourself in poverty. And because of Jesus' poverty and because of all that he gave up for you and I so that we can become rich, that we can become children of God and inherit the kingdom of God, that we can become rich. That is amazing grace that God has bestowed upon you and I. In verse 10, and in this I give advice. Remember, he says this is not a commandment. This is just purely advice to you guys there in Corinth. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. So Paul is reminding him, I'm just giving you advice. It's for your best interest. It's for your own good. You guys came up with this kind of idea and you were encouraged a year ago that you wanted to be part of this. this oh, this is a great thing. God is moving here. This is awesome. We want you to be Yep. Paul, let us know. We'll bring you some money. We'll send it back as a relief to the Jerusalem. This is great, man. We'd be praying for you. Have a great missionary trip. And a year later, they still hadn't collected the money. They didn't follow through with what they said they would do. Their yes was not their yes. And so Paul was saying, I'm giving you advice. It'd be your advantage to follow through with what you said you would do. But now, verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as <coughs> there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. So Paul said you had a readiness. You were ready to do this. You were ready to collect the money. You were ready to make this all happen, this relief fund. And you had the desire, but you didn't bring it to completion. You didn't just, you didn't do it. Good intentions. You thought about it. You even said, I'll pray about it. And you even encourage others to do it. But you didn't do it. It's to your advantage if you follow through and do it. Verse 12, for if there is a for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So the fifth evidence that we see Paul give is that when we give by faith, we're giving of grace. We have to give by faith. We must it starts with the mind, a willing mind. I want to give to the work of the ministry. And when the mind starts, it will work to the heart when you are willing to take the step of faith according to what one has. He's not saying you give to what you don't have. You just sit there and say, oh, in my mind, I want to give a million dollars. So I'm going to go get a loan from the bank so that I can say that I gave a million dollars. No, there's crazy people who do that. 
There's churches that say, oh, right now, someone who has $1,000, stand up. All right, we have one person who has $2,000, stand up. And they, they may not even have the $1,000 in their pocket, but they wanted to feel like they were part of it. No, he's not saying that. He says it starts with the mind, but it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. See, the devil loves if you will just give a vow. Uh, start in the mind, just a commitment. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to give. And the devil is not a problem if you will settle for less than what God is asking you to do. Or settle or do an alternative solution in your mind is what you could possibly do different than what you said. The devil, as long as you just do not follow through and carry it out, he's, he's fine. He'll keep you running around and justifying why you didn't do what God called you and asked you to do. But we cannot give what we do not have. God judges our giving against what resources he has provided to you. Remember, it's his resources. However, the issue of what and how we spend what God gives us is relevant to what you have. If you overspend what God has given you, therefore never have anything to give, you can't justify it before God by saying, well, I don't have anything to give. That's how, rational, how people rationalize. I don't have anything to give. Well, how did you spend the money that God gave you? Well, you, Pastor, you don't understand. I needed an upgrade. I need to go bigger. I needed to have more. You don't understand my wife and my kids. There's so much pressure here. I have to provide for them all these vacations and all these other bells and whistles. And No, see, it's God's money. And what you do with it matters to him. And so just because you've overspent and, and didn't, wasn't good steward to your money and you're now broke and you're going penny to penny because you're misspending doesn't justify why you do not give to the Lord. And I know that's hard. No, that's not easy. This is not a seeker-sensitive moment right here. I know that. But God is not... God's mindful of what the resources he gives you and what you do with those resources. Now, so many people get in this conversation with me and they usually start off the question, Pastor, how much am I supposed to give the church? What's the requirement? Well, if you notice, as we continue, Paul in chapters 8 and 9 never gives exactly the percent. Well, what about the tenth? We're supposed to give 10%. That's required. Well, you're right. Our example, our pattern that God has given us through the Old Testament and referenced in the New Testament is a tenth. But he doesn't, he doesn't in the New Testament tell us it has to be just the tenth. It could be more. For some of us, it's supposed to be more than 10%. 
But some who cannot even afford 10% give to the Lord may only be able to afford 5%. But it doesn't, it's not prescriptive. It's because you first seek the Lord and ask him what it is you want me to give. That's what it is. It's a heart issue, not the amount issue. But many times people ask that question because they really have uh, a self-interest. Well, I don't think, you know, we're not under the law, so we're not to give the tenth. That's under the law. No, you don't know your scripture. A tenth, the demonstration, the pattern given to us was in Genesis 14, prior to the law. So the tenth, when Abram gave to Melchizedek, was prior to the law. So you can't use that excuse. But even if it is in the law, Remember, all things fall under the, I love God and I love others, right? <laughs> so the question is, how are you loving God in your giving and how are you loving others in giving? There's nowhere in the between, how am I loving myself by giving to myself? If you follow the scriptures, you can't, you can't, you can't move from that. But we'll get into more of that. But we do know when we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, we do know that Paul taught very clearly and with clarity the principles of that we are to give regularly. It's to be uh, give by a plan. There's a plan. There's not this walking in, oh, I don't know what to give, but there's a plan. And there's always proportional. That means there is a percentage. There's something proportional to what God has given you. And it is private. We go back in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 to see that. And in next week in chapter 9, we're going to see that we're supposed to give generously, freely given, and cheerful. Giving is, is not a financial issue. Giving is a spiritual issue. And my desire for all of us is to grow in our relationship with God so that when we do give, it is given by grace. It's given out of grace. It's given directed by God through what he's called us to do to help in the kingdom of God. That's our, my prayer for all of us is that we continue to grow in that area. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So he's not telling Corinthians, give everything you have so I can give it to the Jerusalem believers so they have steak on the table and you're back over here asking beans and rice. He's not saying that. You're not to give everything else so that you're not able to, afford, you know, you're just shifting like, Peter to pay Paul or Paul to pay Peter in this regard. It's about giving according to what God has given you to give and to stretch you to give for those in need. But it is God directed, God given. But by any equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance also may supply your lack that there may be equality. Now you're not talking about socialism and communism here. Some people will go to that level in the, in, the, in the church world and say, oh, we're supposed to have equality and the rich needs to get poorer and the poor needs to get richer and this whole concept. And we're not talking political here. We're talking, what it says is, give now because you have the ability to give to those in need. But notice that at some point, you may find yourself roles reversed. 
that the believers in Jerusalem have the resources and you're suffering and they're going to send a relief fund to you and your need. It's equality. You're going to work and help and support each other. We're treating each other equally. You're not sitting, sitting there saying, oh, the Christians in Jerusalem are more prestigious. And they, they expect that they should have that. Whereas, oh, our Gentile churches, we didn't come from Jerusalem. We're kind of second class, so of course we wouldn't get anything. See, that should never happen in the body of Christ. And that stretches me. Because if I look across this community and I see a church in need, how are we as a church body, how can we help our brothers and sisters in that other church if they're in need? Are we willing to be tested by God if one of our brothers, our church is burnt and they have no place? Would we come as a church and go and help that brothers and sisters in that church? Would we rise up? Would we open the pockets freely, willingly, seeking and, and fasting and praying and ask God, how can we help that other church in Nina? Would we be willing to do that? That stretches me as a pastor. But we want to grow and mature where we would be willing to do whatever God puts on our heart to do. And we'd be immediate obedience. I hope that is your prayer as well. But we were looking for God to, to do a work. There's so many churches out there. You'll give these little, these quick little snippets. It's you know up there, and they get up and, and there's you know the pastor or someone in the church and says, "Give it till it hurts, and then give more until it feels better." That's just manipulation of the people. That's just flocking the people to get them to, to do it. I even heard of, of where, they, please, everyone stand and, and everyone reach in and into your purse, your pocket, pull out your wallet, your purse. Now hand it to the person behind you. And then the, now the person you got that person to in your wallet from, now you give like you always wanted to give. That's manipulation. That should never happen within the body. You should freely, willingly, lovingly give as the Lord directs. Verse 15, as it is written, Paul now uses uh, an example here in Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. He says, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little, and he who gathered little had no lack. So he brings it back to God's promise of provision. Here they are, they're in the wilderness, they had nothing, they're in the desert, and God faithfully provided manna every morning except for what? One day, right? That day, that Saturday, that end of the week, they had to gather for two days. But each day they had to get out of their tents, there was manna, they were able to collect that manna, that manna provided for them for that day, and some of them, you know the story, did what? Oh, maybe we won't have manna tomorrow. Let's collect enough for the next week. And what happened to the manna? Worms, molded, nasty, couldn't eat it. God says, trust me when I say I'm going to provide for you. And you must trust me on a daily walk. 
and I will provide for you. And he's, and that's what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians. You can give. God is not going to slacken his promises of providing for you as a family. He is going to provide if you will trust him. Even as he did with his people in the middle of the desert, he provided miraculously for their needs daily. And that's a reminder for you and I. In verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the hearts of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, the challenge of going to collect this money, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Paul was this willing vessel to to serve God. He knew what the challenge may be. But Titus says, I'm willing to go. I'll be challenged. If you need me to go, I'm the one that will go. I have no problem leading this because I want to help the people in Jerusalem. I want to help those who are giving to be able to complete that giving so they're blessed by God for doing that. So here we see the sixth evidence that we give faithfully. If you're giving by grace, you will give faithfully. There would be no question if you're giving or not. Of course you're going to give. I'm going to be faithful in giving. I'm not going to, it's not a question if I'm going to give or not. Lord, I want to give. You've given me this much this week, this, this month, this two weeks paycheck, whatever. Lord, you've given, how, would you, how much? It's not about how much I'm willing to give you, Lord. But Lord, how much do you want me to give of your resources? There is a difference. Because I assure you, all of us can spend 100% of the money that you just got in your paycheck. Without a doubt. The question is, Lord, I give first to you, the first fruits. And you, the rest is there. Does it meet my needs? Yes. Matter of fact, over my needs. Then the next question is, Lord, how can I, I you met my needs. Now, this extra money I have, how, what do you want me to do with that? For your kingdom and for your purpose. That's how the Lord works. And so he says here, who put the same earnest care for you in the heart, that he was willing, he was faithful, and Titus, Paul was sending Titus because he was a trustworthy bearer. Everyone knew Titus. He was faithful to go up there to collect this money, and there was no strings attached. There was no funny business with this money that was being collected because those who handle the Lord's money should be a dedicated and faithful, making certain that everything is done in an honest and honorable and transparent way. So Paul says, don't worry, guys. I'm going to send Titus. You know Titus. He's trustworthy. He's transparent. He was willing to come up. He's going to collect that money. You do not have to worry that I, Paul, is using it for himself because Paul was not collecting that money for himself. It wasn't for his ministry. Hey, I'm sending Titus for the paulsministry.com. Come on. It's going to be used for my ministry because I need it. Send me the money. I've got a $10 million jet. I want to get the word out. You just give me your money and I'll buy the jet and I'm going to fly around the world and spread the gospel. We've all heard it, haven't we? I need a big house. I need a better car. People have to see that God is not broke, so you give me the money so I can live lavish, so I can look like God's blessing me. 
It's a crazy false teaching heresies that go on out there with regards to money. So they sent Paul. He was a faithful servant. And he was faithfully going to make sure that that money got delivered to the believers in Jerusalem. And in verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother who prays, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Here he says, Paul says, don't worry about the money. I'm sending Titus, a faithful man. I'm also, you selected another brother. We don't know who that brother is. Now, of course, commentators, Bible commentators go crazy and guessing who this brother is. But the scripture doesn't tell us who that brother is, so we don't know who it is. It could be Luke, right? He knew, was across all these churches. He was very faithful. Everyone knew him. Could have been that. Could have been Apollos. He served with Paul. He was out there. It could be Silas. He was faithful. He was in those churches. It doesn't matter who the brother was, because if it didn't matter, then Paul would have told us who it was. All that matters is the brother was a faithful brother chosen by these churches to make sure that Titus, now this brother, and we will see another brother, are going to faithfully take the money to Jerusalem. Now that's an important principle. And it applies to today. No one in this church, one single person, touches this money. A board of directors, a board of financial directors... track and monitor all money in and out of this church. No one single person. I don't touch, I don't count money. The financial board guys who are on that board collects the tithes, they count it, and it gets deposited in the bank. Everything gets accounted for within our, 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 our computer and everything's there, and then we monitor as a financial board, they monitor everything that came in and every single penny that's ever spent that goes out this place. And accountable right down to the, every single receipt. I assure you, you get no money and there's, unless there's a receipt. <laughs> I assure you. Everything's accountable. Because they, we must be a, above report. And Paul didn't want anything to have anyone accuse him of taking this money, this relief money, and using it for someone. Because today, many people, many ministries come and go where they take your money sponsor this child put it on your refrigerator and it goes to Guatemala and they're going to and you'll you're sponsoring and helping this child and then they go down there and find out there's no such thing as that people were just sending money to these pictures that people went down and took pictures of all these kids in Guata, these different countries and then tried to get you to sponsor them on a monthly basis and those they never even were even real ministries that's why you have to be very careful where you give money if you don't know where and it's not accountable, you don't just give money to just someone out there. If you ever need help in finding good ministries that you want to be outside, you know, beside the church, obviously, because the scripture says to give to the church first and then outside of that. But we'll give you some of the ministries or missionaries that we know are reliable. But be very careful as we do that. But they made sure that the brother and Titus are going to minister out and give out that gift of grace to those in and down in Jerusalem. Avoiding, verse 20, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing 
honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of man. So Paul even makes it even clearer. We're going to make sure these, this, this man, this brother, and we find out there's another brother, they're going to watch this money, make sure it gets down delivered and, and uh, uh, honorably. It's going to be ministered out. And we not only we do this in the sight of the Lord, we know we have a fear of the Lord, that the Lord sees all things, he knows all things, and he's all powerful, and he knows exactly down to the penny what was brought in and what will happen with that money. Now, not only should you, the people who are going to handle God's money must have the fear of the Lord. That's why in the very beginning, you cannot give out of grace money unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so that you have a fear of the Lord or a reverence and understanding that it's his money and that you do not squander and waste his money in your household or in God's household. It just it cannot happen. So he says, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's why everything stays transparent. That's why I encourage husband and wife, you don't have secret accounts. You have one account. Your spouses should know exactly every, every penny that goes on within a household. There should be no secrets. That's just a an opportunity for division within same thing with the church. Everything's transparent. We want no division. No, As Paul says, I want to avoid any money to think that we're taking money and using it for our own personal gain. Can't happen. Just cannot happen. Because that's how the enemy works, to divide and conquer the body of Christ. In verse 22, we'll wrap here. And we have sent with them our brother whom you have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren, those two brothers, are inquired about, they are messengers or apostles. They were part, an apostle. They were, they were spiritual leaders within the church. They are, are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of your boasting and of our boasting on your behalf. He says, I'm sending them. They have inquire, they're inquiring, what do you do? Who are these th three guys collecting this money and where are you taking this money? Just make sure you know who these people are, two of them. You appointed, the church, you the churches appointed them to go with the money to Jerusalem. And you know Titus, he's been here before, he's served with me, he's my partner here, he's trustworthy. There should be no excuses or any roadblocks for you to give. If there is, get rid of those roadblocks for you to give and go and ask the necessary questions so that you're comfortable in regards to giving. That's what he's saying. Many people will rationalize, oh, I'm not going to give it to the church. Why? Well, because I don't know what they do with it. Well, did you ask? Have you watched? <laughs> with the seat you're sitting in, <laughs> the lights that are on, you know, would you like to know? You have to ask. That's why we have koinonia. We talk about those kinds of things. If you're 
you show, you, you, know, you would know these kinds of little details. But as Paul says, just follow through. Be obedient to what God directs in your heart to do with the money that he's given you. And just do it willingly, freely, based on the Lord, based on a confidence and enthusiasm of just knowing that God is using this for his kingdom and you will be rewarded and blessed for what you've sown. You, you reap what you sow and you will be reaping all into eternity of what you have, where you put your treasure today in the work of God. And there's a blessing that comes from that.